heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 19 of the YWC podcast. Um, This is a funny story. I know it's been, honestly, it's been six weeks since I last recorded. And um, just because there was nothing going on and I also didn't want to, like, have to do, like, multiple little episodes. And to be honest, I recorded two weeks ago. And I had this whole intro set up. I downloaded a clip from YouTube where it was De- Deion Sanders and interviewing Cameron and saying, Cameron, Jarrell, Newton, tell us who you are. Long story short, I rambled about Cam Newton for about 20 minutes and some other random shit and lost my footing. So I was just like, all right, whatever. And then three hours later, um, a kid named Patrick gets paid like $500 million. Uh, he's younger than me. That's just, just let's just find fun, fun facts to mention. Um, so with that, I was just like, I have to scrap this episode. Um, but long story short here, so I also wanted to wait and bring on a guest because I honestly like this doing these uh, two-man, just two-man style. And Big Rat 310 was on episode 18. Him and I are back on, so I'm going to get him on the line in just a second. I'm just doing this quick intro, but we will be back in one second with Big Rat 310. Like I said, too, I got other guests planned on coming on as we enter the 20s of the episodes. I'm going to record more often as, you know what, I'm being cautiously optimistic about the situation. We're going to have football September 10th, so as August is right around the corner, I will be recording more as we go into August and as we get closer to the season. We got a bunch to talk about today. I can't wait for you guys to sit back, relax. Listen to this either on YouTube or any podcast form where uh, we are accepted. Uh, we got a new one, too, from Anchor. Let me just give me a quick second to look it up. Uh, uh, no, uh, I just got another thing from... Oh, I forget what the name of the thing is. But, yes, I'm on a new platform. I just want to mention it quickly. Let me scroll down because it's been a while. Uh, oh, new link uh, for the podcast on Overcast FM. So if you want to use Overcast as your podcast source... Be my guest. But you know what? Like I said, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, we're there. All right, you guys, sit back, relax for another long football conversation with myself and Big Rat 310. All right, we are back here on the YWC Football Talk Podcast. Big Rat 310 back is is back with me. Episode 19, which I like to call the Johnny Unitas episode, uh, who is a quarter butt you, with a haircut you could set your watch to. Shout out to all Simpsons fans here. But, man, welcome back. Let's talk some football. 52 days until the regular season. I'm pumped, man. Uh, we all need it. Like, I'm excited for it. Things are looking good. They still got to work some stuff out, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me back. No problem. Um, that was the thing, because yeah, it was actually, this is good timing, because yesterday was the day when um, the NFL players, like, I first saw Drew Brees' tweet, where they started speaking up and saying, like, hey, we want to play. It's not like... They understand safety comes first, but at the same time, too, they want to play the game they love. Fans, no fans, whatever. So Yeah. It, I mean, everyone wants to play. The players want to play. The owners want to play. There's a lot of money on the line. And I think for the players, you know, there's especially with the NFL, there's just they don't have a lot of time doing this. Like, losing a year is like a big deal. Like the average year span is like three years for most, you know, undrafted players and such. So, yeah, like, everyone wants to play. It's just... They gotta get through the negotiation stuff uh, to make sure it's safe, to make sure everyone's happy, 
hopefully hopefully they wrap it up pretty quickly. We saw some progress today, so that's good. Yes, and before, about an hour or two ago, I actually saw a tweet from Schefter saying that apparently there's a new proposal for zero preseason games, which I understand for health and safety concerns, but at the same time, too, for players who are undrafted or looking to get on a team, that's not exactly good. That means that you got to go out and practice and lay it all on the line. Yeah, I think that's something that most casual fans like don't appreciate. Like A lot of people bitch about the preseason every year, but it's really hard for fourth and fifth stringers to make impact during practice. Like they're, By definition, they're last in the rotation getting reps. Those are limited. You know, Some live game action is when they can maybe show some stuff that they didn't have an opportunity to show during the week. And that's going to be really hard for a lot of them. And I remember with your Patriots, when um, there's also like a practicing football element, right? Like when Julian Edelman got hurt in the preseason in 2017, I believe Belichick like didn't have any regrets about playing him. And that he, he had a quote that always stuck with me. I don't know how you get better at football without practicing football. Like it's just like shit happens. But like, I don't know how you improve as a team without practicing football. And there is, I know preseason no one takes seriously, but there is still like a live game element to it that is hard to recreate in practice when there's another team, when there's a different speed. So, yeah, I think for those younger players it can hurt a lot, um, but might be necessary, sadly. And also, too, the other thing I saw or was just thinking about was the also the chances of injury could significantly go up because think about it, you're throwing someone who's even a veteran or a well-known player into a first-game situation and their body's still not exactly 100%, because there's a difference between, obviously, practice speed and game speed is something in the NFL that's night and day. You throw someone into the fire, God forbid, you go and someone goes in there and has a, any injury, ACL, just because it's the most common one. It's just, that was just another thought that came to my mind. But you're 100% right on the Belichick thing. Like It's even like how people go back to the Iverson, like another sport, the I, Iverson's practice rant. Practice makes perfect is the perfect thing there. Like, how are you not going to get better? Oh, We'll be fine. We don't need to practice. But at the same time, too, coaches love shoulders and uh, shoulder pads and helmets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and notice that, like, even for, for virtually every team, every team still tries to get their veterans to play, like, the first half of the third preseason game every year. There's exceptions. Like, Sean McVay doesn't. But every, every other coach does. And if, if that practice time was so useless and, like, only contributes to injuries, how come... Belichick, Bruce Arians, John Harbaugh, all those guys play their starters for a half um, during preseason. Clearly, they think the benefits of just having some live game reps outweigh the injury risk, despite what the internet keeps yelling about every year. Why should we ignore what the smartest coaches are telling us what's important? Yeah, and also, too, just one other thing I like to say, and even though I'm not his biggest fan, I still think that, like, Sean, John, I don't know why I said Sean, I meant to say John. John Harbaugh proves that, look, you don't have to be an offensive or defense coordinator to be a successful coach in this league. But like you said, look, even throw them in there for a quarter, for a half, just get them game experience, game reps, so that come that first Sunday or Thursday or one of the first two Monday nights, you're ready to go. It's not like, oh, it's my first game, what am I going to do? It's, you know what? I'm already prepared. I'm ready to go. Yeah, and I one thing one trend that I'm noticing lately that's kind of annoying me is like everyone always comments how we can't take September results like too seriously. Like your Patriots like are the patron saint of this. And they do like so this doesn't really matter. What I don't want is us to treat September football like the new preseason because then there's just less games that like where everyone's in tip top shape, where everyone's playing at their best level, getting less of those games that matter, like kinda sucks. So I, that's why I don't. I hope this doesn't go away long term. 
like I'm okay if they want to cut it by a game, maybe two, but like I would cut that fourth game and give everyone two weeks after the third game to rest going into the season. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I really just hope that this doesn't lead to the long-term abolition of preseason. Um, there's some value to it. No, I agree with you on that because, like, if you give them the two weeks off to practice, then you have the coaches go and say, "Hey, this is who we want. This is who we don't want." And then even two, you nail it on the head. Look, if players start treating September like a preseason game, even though, like how you say the Patriots were the Patriots saying like two years ago, how we had that bad loss in Detroit, um, one of only two games I ever remember visibly turning off before the game was done. Um, the other being the Tennessee playoff game this year. Um, yeah, once the pick six was thrown, I was just like, all right, I'm out. Um, but if players start doing that, that could potentially bite a wild card team, even though there are seven. There's those seven, eight, nine, ten teams. A bad loss in September to like a really weak team that could come back and just bite you in the end. Where it's like, oh, and the fans are going to look at that. Like I can look at any game on a calendar and go, okay, if you had won this game or if you had lost this game, would have made a world of difference. And that's the one thing I don't think fans want to see. Like for as much as the players, maybe September may not be go. The fans are expecting go come September 10th. Absolutely. And I think also as fans, like we get excited when the first day of training camps announced, right? And I think all of us, I'm still like this. I don't know about you are. I still look forward to the Dolphins first preseason game because it's like, okay, like we're getting closer. And if all of August was just training camp and reports through the media outlets and we don't actually get to watch any of that football, like we, I don't think we, I think we take for granted, like in August, just like having something to watch, you know, that we like, even if it's just like a quarter here and there, like one thing I like we always walk preseason because they usually are the backups going into the season and they usually play like an entire second half and like that's fun to me because you actually get to see a rookie quarterback play like every snap and uh losing that and just having more time during the year where we're not watching football i think well i I don't think in the moment we appreciate it i think take it away like it will really hit us like oh like yeah like let's get the season going already you know exactly no i'm the same way like you always look for like I know there's like the that's around this time of the year, this coming Saturday, where NFL Network's usually locked from like ten o'clock in the morning to like nine o'clock at night, where they go from training camp to training camp. And but even too, there's not going to be as many traditions this year. Like I know the Green Bay Packers do the bike ride with the kids in the camp, um, yeah. and there's like the fan aspect that's going to be gone completely. So it's just going to be like watching practices. Um, but no, it's like how you said, less it's less football and no one likes it. Because the only other thing the casual fan looks forward to in August is, well, the psychopaths who like to draft their fantasy team before, like, <laughs> the last week in August. Um, yeah. But besides that, there's not a lot. Because, like, me personally, like, I only say that because I like to draft fantasy the earliest, like, August 27th, 28th period. Like, at least two weeks maximum out before the season starts. Yeah, I think you got to, at minimum, like the third preseason game. And then after that, I think you can go. If you want to wait another week, that's fine too. Uh, but yeah, I usually, I'm the same way. I usually try to wait till after the dress rehearsal games. There was one year, I think a few years ago in my home league, where we had to move it up by like two weeks uh, because we had no choice. And we thought, ah, what's the big deal? Like, it, this, this stuff rarely happens in the preseason anymore, anyways. And that was the year that Jordy Nelson tore his ACL in practice. And he was like, and he was a high pick. Yeah. He was like, top two round pick at the time uh so yeah like after that we were just like all right never again like <laughs> i'm not gonna take the risk i remember last year i had a draft two weeks before the season started it was supposed to be the sunday before the sunday prior yeah the day before we drafted was the day that Locke retired and lamar miller tore his acl Oof. and the commissioner was pissed because he's like fuck i wanted teams to have chaos but at the same time too it's like 
I understand where you want the chaos element, but at the same time, too, you get that element where you're like, okay, because like even, too, I remember there was the one year I had uh, McKinnon when he when he tore his ACL, and then you're going, like, fucking, you got to, like, scramble your rosters and everything yeah. like that. Um, actually, if we could just take, we just got to take one quick break. I just got to fix something with the audio really quickly, but we'll be back, guys, in just one second. Okay, guys, we are back. Sorry about that. That was on my end, not his end. But, yeah, like, even, too, that's another big component that I don't think a lot of casual fans realize is, and I think we talked about this last time, about how much money the NFL makes off fantasy, now daily fantasy, now that betting's becoming more and more legal in the United States. There's so many revenue, um, cash flow revenue that the league can rely on that, you know what, maybe losing on tickets, tickets, concessions, parking, those will affect the owners, but the league as a whole will still be making money. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the, the league as a whole with revenue sharing and with the TV deals, like they're just going to be making a killing, like an absolute killing. Now for, for me, from a fan experience, like people always say, why don't you just take out the preseason games and replace them with regular season games? But also, as we know this, whenever people talk about extending the season, like the past CBA, everyone complains that it's not safe for the players to play 18 or 19 regular season games. And it's like, okay, well, if we can't have that, then let me have 16 games and the two little home games that I get to go to the stadium for a half and then go home if I want. Although sometimes we'll stay for the whole game, even for the backups. Like, you know, it's like as a fan experience, I think that's being lost out on this too. And yeah, the league, the league is going to be doing like the way television is now sports, like just make a killing because everyone, there's no advertising value in most sitcoms or any television show these days. Everyone, everyone wants to binge. Everyone wants to watch at their own time. So the NFL, you have to watch live. Like the Super Bowl is not as fun if you know the result going into the game. And that's what causes people to pay these sports companies so much money. Our, our other stupid little hobby, WWE, like they, they make way more money than they deserve on television just because like they're viewed as like a live sport entity. So yeah, the NFL will always do well for that reason, like no matter how these preseason games go. The other big point, um, I was watching First Take this morning, and the point that someone made was, or it was actually Damian Woody, shout out former Patriot, was that the NFL, what they're best at, even in like with the situation and everything going on, getting the deal done, especially with COVID, is the NFL knows how to win those PR battles, make themselves, like make a bad situation for them, turn it around and look good. Even though Absolutely. deep down a lot of fans know that it's bad, the NFL knows, hey, we look good, so people will pay attention to us and not like not uh, decharacterize us or just make us look bad. And look, I mean, look, look what they did with the with the NFL draft. Like they had like all the cameras in people's homes and everything, and it was like one of the, it was either one of or the most watched draft of all time. And you saw the PR pieces that were coming out, like people with their family, people with their friends, seeing all the kids. They turned it into like a huge PR win for the league. And I think I think they're really lucky with um, this COVID stuff because they can learn from other sports leagues' mistakes. And they kind of, they're not the first to do it, so they don't carry the backlash if things go poorly. Like, they're not even the first to go without a bubble, because the MLB is going to start this week without a bubble. And they're, they, the NFL, like, is going to be able to phrase it in a way that's going to make them look really good. Exactly. And you're right, too, about the point where the NFL can look and go at every single sport, even the stuff like how uh, wrestling, let's just, oh, um, yeah, I know. Sorry. So, yeah, we have the video freezing, but UK, you're back. But you're right where, look, MLB this week, where the NFL is going to look at that, and if they see MLB, hey, there's not a lot of cases, 
everything's going smoothly, the NFL can go, okay, every team can play home games at their individual stadiums. But if MLB season goes a little yeah. off the rails a bit, I think M- the NFL is going to have to scramble to find a few cities with uh, bubbles that you can put each team in or even to have to reschedule. Like how in college, I think the Big Ten and the ACC came out and said, we're only doing in-conference games. Yeah, it was it was the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Oh, the uh, Pac-12. Yes. Uh, yeah, they, they would they would have to do that as a last resort. I think that, like, I'm not too worried because, like, the NBA is pulling it off for now. Obviously, knock on wood. Like, but so far it looks good. Um, the NFL, the NFL has an has an insane amount of money. Like, way more way more than the NBA. Even though the NBA is also a billion dollar organization. Like, if if it came to it, if it was like, okay, the NFL, you can't do it the way you want. You have to bubble up. I really wouldn't like. I, I just, I guess, I would just have trust that, like, okay, yeah, the NFL, and there's so much demand for the NFL. Like every state in the country, even even the ones with tight restrictions, are going to be okay hosting an NFL team and an NFL bubble. Like, I just think the NFL, with all the money they have, and with the amount of money that's at stake, because obviously they can't afford to just not have a season, uh, they're going to just pour all the resources. You know, they'll go to they'll go to like Dallas, Atlanta, you know, maybe someplace in New York. Georgia have like bad COVID cases, but like I just feel like if they want, I mean, the NBA set it up in Florida, which also has bad COVID cases, so I don't think that's necessarily a huge barrier. And yeah, if they needed to, they would. And I think how the MLB goes will really dictate to that. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of an interesting season where, as we kind of talked about last time, like kind of any player could test positive and just be out of the lineup for two weeks. Like, your team's starting wide receiver, like, in the middle of October. Oh, he has corona. He'll, he'll be back, like, in three weeks or whatever. And, like, that could happen all across the team, which I think is going to be crazy for fantasy football because you're going to have to be prepared, like, to get these backups, like, on the waiver wire, like, constantly because it's a threat that your guys could go out on any given week. Yeah. Um, playing – because I'm in a few fantasy leagues, and some I play with casual fans who I think have that approach of, oh, if I draft well, I'm going to have a good season. But – you start to play a while, and you you get to realize this. You got to play the waiver wire to win the title. That's gonna be the most relevant this year, and also too from a scheduling standpoint. Look, like let's just let's throw this receiver out there, um, Michael Thomas. If my God forbid Michael Thomas were to get COVID, he's out for three games to the Saints. That's three potential like games to the Saints. You don't know how they can do, which then could later affect them in the running, making those December games more important, or even two where they. Say if they don't end up getting that first seed by and they end up having to play a wild card weekend, they can go, oh, because of this. You can't blame COVID, obviously, for a team's result, but it's one of those factors that every team's got to go in the back of their mind. Hey, I may get this. Or, like, how players do with injuries. Now you got to deal with a, vi- like a virus that could... Even, too, like, say if it spreads throughout the whole team, like, this thing could affect se- like just the team season, especially a team, too, who has Super Bowl aspirations. Yeah, and it seems like, like your depth... Like, if you want to be a Super Bowl team, like, it seems like this year more than any, you can't, two things, you can't be top-heavy. Like, you can't be so reliant. Like, the Houston Texans come to mind. If, like, if like J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson get COVID, like, just, their whole season is just ruined. Like, losing three games, like, could ruin everything because those are three games they can't afford to lose. And I think also, more importantly to depth, you need a really good backup quarterback. And I think we're seeing this a little more often as the supply of quarterbacks have grown. Like someone like Andy Dalton is now a backup. Whereas, like, think about, like, five years ago, he would have been unquestionably the best backup quarterback in the league if, if he's not already. So I think these teams that, like, don't have a good plan B are going to be tested a little bit because if your quarterback is out for three weeks and you don't have competency behind him, 
Like, those could be three straight losses. And there's almost no team in the NFL that can survive three straight losses without it seriously impacting their season. So, that's something to think about. Yeah, and even to look at, like, the guy who won MVP at the Super Bowl just over two years ago is now potentially there to help the starting quarterback play better in Chicago, Nick Foles with Mitch Trubisky. So it's like how that revolving carousel door of quarterbacks, how one year you're at the top of the world, the next year you're a backup. Like, that's just the craziness of the sport. Yeah, it's it's insane. Uh, the quarterback carousel keeps revolving. Like, we have so many. I, I feel like I, I, this is not, like, super scientific. I just feel like the top quarterbacks in the draft haven't been busting as often since 2016. Um, with the exception of the Jameis Mariota year, because Goff and Wentz are still starters, Mahomes and Watson are starters, and Trubisky for now still is as well. And then you have the Jet, then you have the Ravens, the Browns, the Jets, the Bills, all still having their starting quarterbacks from the 2018 draft. And then add on, on top of that, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, and, and Haskins, who are all going to start this year. It's just like that's a long streak of like not turning over your starter because we've had years where. We've had years where, like, Paxton Lynch, also in that 2016 draft later on, you know, by the third year, he was off the roster. He's out of the league now. Off the league, yeah. And I just think you've had so many quarterbacks that have been sticking that now, now all of a sudden, like, someone like Joe Flacco, it's like, that's backup quality now. Like, that, I don't, I mean, I do think he's worse, but I don't think he's that much worse than he was, like, three years ago. It's just that three years ago, that was good enough to be, like, the 25th best quarterback in the league. And now it's like, okay, that's that's backup quality now. So, Case Keenum, another one. Like, it's just... Matt yeah, Schaub. Matt Schaub. Like, the standards have the standards have just changed really, really quickly. Like, like Bortles. Like, like Bortles, I was just about to say, yeah, another one. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be inter- This season's going to be crazy. Like, you... Like, someone like Buffalo. Like, if Josh Allen gets COVID, and not just COVID, like, he always has a propensity to get hurt, like we talked about last time. Like... You better be prepared. You better be really confident in Jake Fromm or Matt Barkley because you have aspirations not just to make the playoffs but to win the division. So, like, you can't afford to go 0-3, like, in a three-game stretch, especially if it's against your division opponents. So, yeah, that's going to be tested this year. Who Buffalo just happens to play New England and Miami Week 16 and Week 17. Divisional games are always those games, like, as a Patriot fan, I'm used to winning, but divisional games are games I never take for granted. Like, I always say it's either a close game or it's a blowout. There's no in-between. Like, there's sometimes it'll be like, oh, a 10-point game or a 14, but, like, most of the time it's either 15 and up or 7 and under. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I mean, no one blows out the Patriots. Like, the Dolphins did it a few years ago in 2014, but that was that was about it. Yeah. And uh, that was the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I meant like most division, most division games like within the NFL, not just the AFC East. Oh, but I, yeah. I more attention paid to that with the AFC East. Yeah, division teams know each other really well, so like it also makes sense. It's like you know those, like it makes sense that games would be really tight unless there's such a talent disparity, which would over trump the knowledge. In which case, the game wouldn't be a nine point game; it would be like a 15, 20 point game. Yeah. Um, with the quarterback talk, um, like I said, I said this in my intro earlier because the last time I tried recording this episode was two weeks ago when I went on a 15-minute Cam Newton rant, which we'll get into in a bit. But shortly after that, there was a kid named Patrick Mahomes who happened to sign for like $500 million, becoming the richest player in North American sports. Obviously, we don't say all the world sports because soccer players, we obviously know how much money they're capable of making. This is a contract where it shows now, look, the NFL can market a guy not just a team, an individual player, which is something the NFL has always 
I'm not going to say struggle to do, but they've had problems doing it. Like, I know certain players have different ad things, but I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be that kind of guy where, look, he's going to make a lot of people watch the sport. Yeah, they, the individual star level in the NFL is not like the NBA. Like, in the NBA, the brand of LeBron is stronger than the brand of the Cavs, you know. Whereas in the NFL, it's not really the same thing. Like, I, w- I would even say, like, like, the Patriots brand is right there with how you view Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Like, it's just, like, the teams, like, make up so much of the discussion. Whereas with the Chiefs, I think it's different. I do think the brand of Patrick Mahomes is greater than the brand of the Kansas City Chiefs right now. And you're seeing this whereas these individual players, one, they're, they're starting, these quarterbacks like Mahomes, they're going to start to make NBA-level money. Like, like people always, like NFL players usually complain, like when it's NBA free agency and the NBA players like get exorbitant sums of money for like role players. But starting NFL quarterbacks, I mean, $45 million per, like that's, that's literally right in line with, Damian Lillard and Giannis and Russ Westbrook and everyone who makes big money in the NBA. So I think it's demonstrating that guys like and Mahomes is not going to be the only one. Like Deshaun Watson is going to be the same thing when he gets his deal. Possibly like if, if the Ravens extend Lamar Jackson, which I expect they will, but you never know because he still has to do it for another year. Uh, that would be the same thing too, where like Lamar's brand and identity, like his style of play, I think, you know, is a unique thing that could be marketable aside from the franchise of the Ravens. And I think part of it is also maybe there's a change in play style with these three guys. We're seeing now, it's more common, like mobility is no longer like some nice secondary benefit. Now mobility is kind of like almost crucial to the position, almost. I'm not like, obviously not everyone has it, but with guys like Mahomes who can make plays with his legs, Deshaun Watson who can make plays with his legs, and Lamar. And when I say play with their legs, I mean like, you know, scramble plays outside the pocket. You know, not just necessarily running in a straight line for a thousand yards like Lamar can do, but that kind of and like with Russ Wilson, with Dak, another one like these guys that can just like make plays on the move. It's a very exciting style of football. There's more of an impromptu artistic element to it, and I think like you see in the playoffs when Deshaun Watson scrambles out of the double hit and throws the ball to Taiwan Jones uh, to get the Texans in field goal range to beat the Bills. You see Patrick Mahomes against the Titans, that play right before the half, which broke my heart because I was rooting hard for the Titans. Because I mean, I, I love the Chiefs, but I'm a huge Tannehill fan still. So I really wanted him to go to the Super Bowl, especially in Miami, because I just thought this stupid fan base deserved to eat shit for talking bad about him for so long. Uh, Patrick Mahomes does that scramble drill where he runs out to the side, runs all the way into the end zone. And it was just... Artistic plays like that, like I think, really capture, capture, and captivate an audience better than like, with all due respect to Brady and Manning, I love them both. You know, like there's a lot of respect for them. But you know, diagnosing the defense beforehand and placing the ball in the slant route at the exact right moment, like, and that guy goes for a first down, like that kind of carving you up and down the field. There's something about this impromptu like style of football that I think like connects a lot with the American audience and connects a lot with an international audience. of just like, these guys are stars. Look at this cool, really cool, flashy stuff they can do. And I think that's going to be more common. I think you're going to see more quarterbacks like them. We just saw Kyler Murray come into the league. Like it's going to be the new standard. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. Like, and I know like what you mean when you compare like how you say the mobility quarterbacks compared to the throwing quarterbacks, like a, like a Manning, like a Brady, like we'll just say to Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Like I know those last two guys are capable of moving, but they're guys. They're mainly pocket quarterbacks. When you get a quarterback who can get out of the pocket, who can escape. Like let's t- like shout out the original OG of that Frank Frank Tarkenton. But I know that's a blast from the past for some of you there. But you know what? Those guys when they make those electric plays, it's not so much. Oh, do you want to see what the Kansas City Chiefs did tonight? It's no. 
Here's what Patrick Mahomes did in this game. Like how in the NBA, here's what LeBron did on this crazy dunk against like some random NBA team. It's just those little moments like that that make you go, okay, like you're right. The player is bigger than the team. But- yeah, and with, with the NBA, I just want to say very quickly, like I think you see a lot in NBA culture, like their star brand amongst the youth. What do people do? They're like, oh, I want to pull up Russ Westbrook mixtape. I want to pull up Dame Lillard highlights. You know, They want to see those highlight packages where they're making all these flashy plays. Like If you watch a highlight video for Peyton Manning, who I love, my favorite player in NFL history, it's probably not all that appealing. It's like, okay, like he's making incredibly intelligent decisions, some really nice throws. But like you see a highlight video for Lamar, and he's juking people around the field, running up and down. Like I just think there's an electricity to that that captures that, their, their individual element better. The one play that comes to mind with him is that spin movie pulled against Cincinnati last year. Yeah, yeah, just that was. Yeah, that, that's how you sell magazines, like stuff like that. Yeah, it's like those like those little electric plays that make that it just go from like okay from the team to the player on itself. Um, the only thing I want to talk about Kansas City is like I know this year they're they have everyone back. I think they lost two players. They got Chris Jones extended, which I think is a really big extension. Like how we talked about this last time. Offensive and defensive linemen, to the casual fans, sometimes go very unnoticed on how big a part they can play in a team winning or losing a game. But the one big concern I have with Kansas City is everyone already saying, oh, he's trying to chase Brady's legacy. If you watch The Last Dance, Kobe was never trying to chase Michael. Michael's never, uh, LeBron, like, same thing to LeBron. He, like, wants to be like Mike, but you know he's never trying to be Mike. He's trying to be LeBron. For people to say, like, oh, Mahomes wants to be Brady. He wants to win five more championships. Well, two things. One, winning six championships is not easy to do, in no matter the sport, especially the NFL. The second thing being, too, is, look, for all we know, Patrick Holmes may only win one more. He may only win two more. He may win zero because, like, look at I, the way I look at it, too, is, like, look at Russell Wilson where he had first year he had a great year. Second year he got Kansas City, like, second year starting. He got Seattle, won a Super Bowl. Same thing with Mahomes, second year starting, Super Bowl. Ever since the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl, Seattle has not sniffed the Super Bowl again. Same thing too. Aaron Rodgers, since winning in 2010, hasn't sniffed a Lombard. Not hasn't even been past the NFC Championship game. So that's the one thing I just want to halt people's expectations on. Like, look, if you're expecting Patrick Mahomes to be in the Super Bowl every single year, just remember this other point: Tom Brady went 10 years between winning Super Bowls. Yeah, I think the Patriots kind of distort expectations because yeah. you look at what the Patriots did, and it's like, okay, like then if you have the best quarterback in the league, then you can win all these Super Bowls. But Really, I mean, and you, I'm sure this isn't controversial for me to say, like, three of the Super Bowls they won, they won before Brady was even the top five quarterback in the league. Before like, he was in the prime. Yeah, like, it's just, like, it's, look at some of the quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls in the past 10 years. Like, 2011, Eli Manning. 2012, Joe Flacco. 2017, Nick Foles. 2015, Peyton Manning on his dying days. Like, it's not super common that... I, I want to cut you off there. Um, for as much as Peyton Manning won that Super Bowl, he did not win that Super Bowl. That was a Denver Broncos defense that won that Super I know. Bowl. Yeah, that's why I said his dying days. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, like, although I will say, Peyton, Peyton does not get enough credit for playing really well against the Patriots in the AFC title game that year. Because no. he outplayed Brady that year in that game. He and outplayed know, Brady, like, and our offensive line was trash. Yes, yes it, yes, it was. Not, not denying any of that. But I guess I just mean to say, like, it's not super common that the best quarterback goes to Super Bowl every. This isn't the NBA. Like it's just not like that. No. That's why, like, 
I think people who like Dan Marino, like he made the Super Bowl. He didn't win it, of course, but he had a forty-eight touchdown season in nineteen eighty-four, like not two thousand eighteen. And when he had after that season, I mean, I wasn't alive then, but I've heard from everyone else at the time. The expectation was, oh, he'll come back like four or five more times. You just, it's hard. And besides, like look, look at all the other quarterbacks in the AFC that are eventually going to have their chance too, like Deshaun Watson, like Lamar Jackson. Like there's just there's. There's a lot of really, there's a lot of young talent coming up. Like it's just, you never know. So yeah, I think I think expecting it like it's their inevitable destiny is is fool's gold. I wouldn't be surprised if he never goes back. Like Aaron Rodgers never did. Yeah, but then it's like I I always say this too, where if for like a lot like and I look at a lot of those guys where like I'm gonna give three names right off the bat: Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. They've all got one. Two will increase in their two. Winning one, everyone's like, okay, you won one, that's whatever. You win two, like, you're just in another category on your own. Like like I said, too, it took Peyton Manning. Remember, he was drafted in 98. He didn't win his first till 07. Yeah. And then he won his second nine years later. So it's just one of those things where I think people got to realize, look, too, it's not, you're not going to be like LeBron James where you're, where you're going to go to the Super Bowl nine straight years. Will he be in the AFC Championship game nine straight years? Probably. The Patriots were in every AFC Championship game for the last, I think, seven or eight seasons before this year. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I, they're definitely going to, like, at minimum, they're going to make the playoffs every year. I think everyone can agree on that. Like, the Seahawks still pretty much make the playoffs every year, with one exception. So, yeah. like, yeah, they'll, they'll, always, it, they'll always be in it. They'll always even be favored most of, more than half of the time, probably. But a Super Bowl, is just, it's just hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And the other thing, too, I just wanted to point out as well is they now have their next big contract assigned, but it's down the road still. But is Travis Kelsey's coming up, and he's only made... I think his deal's like something ridiculously cheap right now. I'm just gonna if you give me a second to look it up because I remember too he's up in um, I think either at the end of this season or at the end of next season, and he's another for everyone saying too like oh they got Tyreek Hill they just got Edward Zeller in the draft they have Sammy Watkins, he's a huge part of that offense. Yeah, and I think it goes to show this is the this is the other side of the coin of paying a quarterback so much money. Obviously, Mahomes deserves it. No one's saying he's not. He doesn't, but it's a salary cap sport. And they can't just afford to not resign their defense either because, like you were saying, and I think what most people don't give it enough credit, like I think that defense is a big part of the reason why they won that Super Bowl. Not, I mean, I think I do think they played well in that game. Holding an offense to 20 points is a good thing in today's NFL. Uh, but it's also just, like, throughout the whole playoffs, like Honey Badger, Chris Jones, like they were just really good at making splash plays at the right time. And you saw that, like, you saw that in the AFC title game in the second half where the Titans passing game was a lot more restricted because of what they were trying to do. And if the year before, in 2018, uh, they did still have Chris Jones, but they didn't have Honey Badger, and the defense was a lot worse. It was like 26th in the league in, offense, in defensive efficiency. And they didn't make it to the dance uh, because they couldn't They let the Patriots put up 37 on them. Like, that, that kind of roster balance is needed. So you got to pay your defensive guys like they did with Jones. And then you pay Mahomes, and then Kelsey's coming up. Like, they just gave Tyreek Hill $18 million per year last year. In a salary cap sport, you eventually run out, and that's how players get squeezed out. So that, that's what makes it harder. I have the deal right here. Um, he's, and back in 2016, he signed a five-year, $46 million contract extension. I, you, I just did the math, five, five years. That, he's up at the end of this season. He's making about nine point two a season. Um, I just want to look up quickly to the tight end market, like uh, to, like what the top ten top paid tight ends are. 
but I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty sure Kittle's going to be at the top of that list. And there's a very good argument that Kelsey is like right now too. Uh, so it's all around the same area, like around that nine million, that eight point five million. But a guy of Kelsey's caliber, he's going to be asking for double digits. Yeah, and like Austin, I think Austin Hooper like makes eleven per now and is the highest paid, and that's Austin Hooper. Yeah, like. George Kittle and his agent are going to come in and be like, "Oh, come on, eleven million? Yeah, like we're your we're your best offensive player. Like we're better than your quarterback. Like with all due respect to Jimmy G, yeah. like it's, it's just like of course he's going to ask for a lot more. And then yeah, and the thing is, even if the Chiefs tell Kelsey, we love you, we respect you, like we're still going to give you like ten mil. The problem is another team can say, "Hey, Kelsey, we're going to give you sixteen because you'll turn around our passing game. Like despite your age, like you're still super productive." So. That's the stuff that the that Kelsey is going to have to deal with internally as well. And without Kelsey, I mean, it's a tight end. Like, it's such a mismatch, you know? Like, just like all these linebackers and safeties that try to cover guys like Kelsey and Mark Andrews and George Kittle. It's just not the same as, like, you know, Michael Thomas, as great as he is. Like, if you have a Stephon Gilmore or Tredavious White, you can't shut him down. But, like, you have a better chance than you do with your best linebacker or your best safety going up against Kittle and Kelsey. That is 100% sure. Uh, you're 100% right on that. And even, too, um, like I was saying earlier, how the position is so well, but then I feel more confident in a guy like George Kittle and John Lynch being the GM there because John Lynch is that guy where, you know what, if he's going to do something to make his team better, he's going to do it. Like I know a lot of people criticized him, and I was going to mention this last time, but him dealing DeForest Buckner, and that was another because we were talking about the Colts. I was never about to mention that Buckner's now a Colt. But the fact that he had to get rid of a guy like Buckner to move up in the draft, and he got Kinlaw, who, you know what, He's younger. He can be paid less. Like, yeah. GMs, at the end of the day, they're going to do the moves that are smart for that team. This is not a knock on Brett Veach. I'm just saying that, look, sometimes you have to do those moves that sometimes might kill your team or make it may make your team better, may make your team worse. Brett Veach has just got to look at the math right now and see, like, hey, how much can we give Kelsey? Because obviously 9.2 is a, the average tight end market, but he's not your average tight end. Yeah, and uh, that's why you have to make tough decisions. Like, like I think the 49ers did it smart. Like, you sometimes got to let go of one of your best players and draft his replacement early. Uh, this is why everyone talks about rookie quarterback contracts so much. Because when you have a good quarterback on a rookie contract like Mahomes last year, it makes it easier to they – can, they can give Sammy Watkins like $16 million. And at the time, everyone complained because Sammy hasn't done a whole lot. But from the Chiefs' perspective, and Brett Beach said this, it's like – Look, we have the cap room. Like, it doesn't it doesn't matter if we overspend because we have the space because our quarterback like is, is making so little. They can afford to do shit like that. Luxury signings that you know most teams it probably wouldn't be a smart thing to give Sammy Watkins that much money and have him be your number one receiver. The Chiefs can pay that to their number two receiver, their number three overall option in the passing game, and it's fine. They have no regrets. Like, they just want a Super Bowl. And Sammy Watkins, like for all his flaws, was a big part of their postseason. So I think that now it gets harder. Now you're paying the guy 45 mil. They don't do that this year, but this is where this is where those luxuries, like, oh, we're just going to give Sammy Watkins 16 mil. It's like that's going to be a tougher decision to stomach um, as you give Patrick Mahomes 45 and you give Chris Jones 21. Like, there's only so much money. Yeah, and also too for like a lot of uh, GMs who like a lot of people go like, oh, like who cares about the draft or like why is drafting so important for teams like that? Like, like let's take a look at. Because obviously, mainly, you know my host, host myself, Patriots fan. I'm going to go back and always use the Bill Belichick example. That's where Bill Belichick, he does not care like what you did here or what you did there. If you're going to come in, take the money that we're going to give you to win, 
they'll do it. So if Brett Veach has kind of got to adapt that where it's like, look, you start to start drafting smarter and smarter because, look, like how you said, they can't afford luxuries of paying Sammy Watkins $16 million. You're going to have to go out there, draft a receiver, or maybe have to pay underpay someone or get someone, you know what, who may not be the most known guy. But if he can come in and get the job done, kudos to you. Yeah, like all, all you sometimes need when you're especially a team like that, that is like so close to the edge. And this is why the Patriots can do similar decisions like this. Like sometimes you just need someone to put you over the top that can do their job, regardless of their past. It's like with Sammy, like super talented, like he had problems a few years, but all they need was just like a little extra spark. And you see this against your Patriots last year, even like you, they plan so much to cover Tyree Kill and Kelsey because they're the dangerous ones. And then Sammy Watkins had whatever he had, like 150 yards in the AFC title game last year. Um, Sometimes like just having someone who can like perform those jobs in the most complimentary basic settings, like you can ignore their past um, if you have a good organization. But again, your Patriots and the Chiefs, like they can do this well. Like if a team like the Jets gave Watkins that same contract and ignored his past, they probably would not have set him up for success. Uh, but smart organizations know how to minimize the faults and maximize the strengths. Um, that's uh, just I want to move to another team quickly because the quarterback situation. When you say that. And where I look at the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott on his one-year deal right now, and you just pay, and like, look, you gave Ezekiel Elliott his money, but why? Because he went to Cabo and refused to practice. You gave Amari Cooper uh, $100 million, who sometimes in key moments wasn't on the field um, in games like last year against the Patriots, was shut out completely by Stephon Gilmore. Uh, I know you got Michael Gallup in their tight end situation little wonky, but at the same time, too, for a guy like Dak Prescott, who I know gets his fair share of criticism, obviously, because when you're on the Cowboys, your stage is just that much bigger, no matter who you are. It's just because of that's a brand like, look, Dak Prescott will never be Patrick Mahomes' all star because of the team he plays for. You got that star in your jersey. It's simple. You're playing for the star. You're not playing, like, as much as you're playing for yourself, it's more about the star. Um, but for him to be only getting his mill, like, his only, I know it's still $31 million. It's like, oh, that's, for him, it's whatever. But, it kind of shows me, like, do the Cowboys have full trust in him, or are they just wait? Like, what do they want? Because I know Jones' expectation every year is we got to go to the Super Bowl or we got to get to this. When they have not been to an AFC NFC Championship game since I was a two year old, ninety five, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what they're doing. I don't think this was smart because I think, like, whatever you think about Dak, like, the one the offense last year was really good. The team was not, but the offense was like seven, a second in the league in points per game or something like that, or second in the league in yards per play. Like they're, all their offensive numbers were through the roof. Now most of that was tilted towards like the first twelve games because they kind of like went into a coma a little bit to end the season. You know where they barely scored against the Eagles. They got embarrassed by the Bills. They got embarrassed by the Bears on Thanksgiving. Day. I mean the Bears on Thursday night football. The Bills on Thanksgiving Day, uh, but. Dak is probably going to put up numbers just because that team is loaded. Like, everyone talked, yes, the O-line is worse, but it still has enough. Like, they still have three of the highest-paid offensive linemen at their position in the league, in Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, and Lyle Collins, even with losing Travis Frederick. Like, with all their receivers, with Zeke, even Jarwin, who I kind of like in fantasy a little bit, uh, they're... I just don't see why not paying Dak now is going to help them get him at a discount, because... I don't think he's going to, like, he's not really set up to play bad. And their division, they still play a lot of soft defenses in the NFC East. Like, the Giants and the Redskins defenses, like, they're mm-hmm. not that worried. Even the Eagles, even with getting Darius Slay, 
Like, the Eagles secondary was terrible last year. And sure, Slay helps, no doubt. But nonetheless, I just think that I just think that the likely result is Dak kind of does what he's done the last two years, a similar level. And then what? Because uh, he's going to make the same contract demands. If you franchise tag him again, it's going to be even more expensive. And you just kind of created like some unnecessary friction between yourself and him. I, I think doing this would be smart if you thought there was a way that like you can get Dak at a discount by next year. But you know you drafted CD Lamb in the first round. Like you you paid Amari Cooper. Like everything you did was to make the offense as good as possible. You hired an offensive minded head coach. Like I just I, I just think that all those decisions you're setting up your offense to succeed, and then you're not paying your quarterback and hoping that after this year you can get your quarterback at a discount. Those it just seems like a very bad thought process to me. Yeah, exactly, and like even too like and, and say this year the Cowboys don't win the Super Bowl, but like they go like eleven and five or twelve and four, make it to the divisional round again, and Dak has a great year. He's gonna go on the table and be like, like, give me my money. It's like, yeah. the, give me what I like. I'm, I'm trying to remember what's one. Give me what I want. It's like and what, what what's gonna be tough is that like obviously I think most people know that Patrick Mahomes is the only guy in the league who can get like that kind of contract that he got, but. If they had made a deal with Dak before that contract, you know, where they could have said, like, okay, Dak, we'll give you, like, $38 million or whatever. But now Dak is going to say, okay, fine, don't give me 45 but give me, like, 42 43 because that's – you let Mahomes reset the market, and now Dak is going to say, I want $40 million plus, and now it's going to be harder. Now his, his number's only gone up, not down, because you waited so long to get this deal done. Exactly. So it's at the end of the day when the Cowboys think, like, oh, hey, we may be saving a buck or two here or there. You're going to be spending a lot more come next March. Like, no matter what happens this season, even if the Cowboys have a similar year to this year, where their biggest hurdle last year obviously was not beating a single team with a winning record. I know they beat the Eagles, but the Eagles were just as bad. Um, but, like, if to, if Jared Goff got the money he got, like, what's stopping the Cowboys from signing Dak when Dak's obviously a better quarterback than Goff? Yeah, and now, and now there's just, like, there's, like, ten, like we, we saw this, like, with the Redskins and Kirk Cousins, where... The constant franchise tags also just, like, it just makes things kind of awkward. Like, there's a lot of, like, constant talks in the media. Like, do you like Kirk Cousins? Do you not like Kirk Cousins? Like, why are you not extending Kirk Cousins? And it just it's like an unnecessary plot line that kind of hangs over the team. And in Kirk's case, it led to him eventually leaving the Redskins. And, look, I'm not saying that Kirk Cousins deserves a big contract. I'm not a particularly big Kirk Cousins fan. But it's just that all this franchise tag stuff, it's like, I don't think you're going to save money. You're only going to lose money. And it's just, like, the headache of, like, everyone asking, like, you know, why why does Dak not have a contract yet? And, like, asking Dak, do you want to be in Dallas long term? Like, why, why do you just want to deal with all that headache for another year? And it's just headache, too, because, you know, Jones is going to be asked about it all the time. Of like, well, hey, when's Dak getting paid? Or what does it take? Or what's this with Dak? It's like last year, too, how that Jason Garrett cloud was hanging over his head, which I do believe, like, how you said that, why John Mara did not let go of Eli Manning, why you're glad Tom Brady left the Patriots when he did. That Jason Garrett cloud hung over the Dallas Cowboys for way too long. So if this year, too, if Mike McCarthy sets Dak up for success, like, look, Jer- I don't know what Jerry's going to do. He's gonna, what's he going to do? Oh, hey, we're going to franchise you again when Dak has MVP potential. Yeah, and if, if you franchise Dak twice, like, that's when you start to piss Dak off. And that's, I think, if you're Dak, that's when you have to start seriously wondering, like, Maybe I should sign with someone else, which obviously, like, the Cowboys are fucked if he does. Just look, no matter what you think about Dak, it's like, it's really fucking hard to find a quarterback that good. Like, even, like, 
it's really hard to just find like a top 15 level quarterback. That's not easy. Like, so yeah, I think you run the risk if you franchise tag him twice, you run the risk of Dak not wanting to be in Dallas and you know, some team will give him big money if you don't. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, another let's like, so the quarterback carousel in the NFL always continues. The quarterback carousel in our show continues. And we're going to talk about the last quarterback in the free agent carousel who happened to sign in New England, which was Cam Newton. This caught me off guard. I remember just going on Twitter. I was just like, oh, shit, Cam Newton's a Patriot. And I'm going to say this right now. I, he's going to see me do this on camera, but I'm fully embracing this signing. Like, look, it's a one-year deal. Like, at the most he'll make is seven with bonuses. The Patriots have three quarterbacks making $5 million. That's where you know Bill Belichick is just a, like a genius. Yeah, I mean, they're paying Tom Brady more than they're paying Cam Newton. Like, uh, with their cap head, at least. Like, yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's... What is there to say? It's a brilliant signing. Like, I think, yes, obviously, like, if it doesn't work out, if he's not healthy, you're barely committed to him, you barely gave up any money to do it, it's a high upside, low downside, no downside kind of move. I think what's not being discussed enough is... People are saying, oh, well, if Cam is an MVP level Cam, then the Patriots can win the Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. If Cam, and they're like, oh, but if Cam's like, if Cam's all beat up, like if he doesn't have it anymore, if his shoulder's just shot, then they'll just cut him and move on with Stidham. No wonder. I don't think people are addressing the middle ground enough. If Cam is just like a slightly reduced version of himself, but not 2019 Cam, let's say he's like 2016 Cam or something like that. Where like he's and he's playing more at like a league average level because he's not quite as fast as he used to be. He doesn't have as quite of a strong arm as he did, but he is healthy. He just he's healthy. He's playing for you, but like his arm isn't the same and his legs aren't the same. If he's just playing like the fifteenth best quarterback in the league, like that still very likely will be the best quarterback in the AFC East. And I think that's what's not being addressed enough. Like even if Cam's not MVP, Cam, even if he's just an average quarterback. Like, that could be better than Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, that that alone could be all you need to win the division. Like, Tom Brady last year probably played on, like, a 10 to 15 level quarterback as is. Like, I know bad supporting cast and all that. But nonetheless, like, even if he's just average, I think that's still, like, a big win for the Patriots. Because then they'll still probably have the best quarterback in the division. Like, that's this, not even the best case scenario. Yeah, this, this year for me is still Pandora's box. It's still, you don't not know what's inside. We don't know what Cam's getting out there. Am I going in there expecting 2015 Cam? No. All I'm asking for is that he's healthy. I hope his rotator cuff, because I remember 2019 when he came back, I knew his rotator cuff wasn't fully healthy, because I remember my sister had the same operation two years ago, like a year and a half ago, and she's still recovering from it. Yeah. Like, it's a very serious procedure for someone young to have, especially someone who relies on their shoulder to make their living. So, but you know what? When everything I see on his Instagram and his weird fonts, he looks like he's ready to go. He he's got that chip on his shoulder, and sometimes you got a quarterback coming in with a chip on their shoulder, it can go great. So, like I'm cautious, like it's Pandora's box, but I'm also cautiously optimistic. It's a big wait and see. But then for also everyone too going, oh, who are they going to start? Cam's probably going to start. The only way I can't see that is if something happens in camp. You know what? This team they got right now, even though the supporting cast isn't what it usually is. They're gonna mold it around Cam. Yeah, it's and what, it's good. It's what yeah. Cam's working with. And I think what you could get excited about as a Patriots fan is, yeah, you're right. We don't know what's gonna happen. Um, 
But the 2019 Cam, the one that got on the field against the Bucks on Thursday Night Football, and I, I, I've, I've watched the game recently. Like, I, it goes to your point. Like, he just couldn't hit anything. Maybe it was because of the foot that was affecting his motion. Maybe his shoulder was just still shot because the recovery time is so long from the surgery, like you mentioned. But he couldn't hit anything. But I think you will never see that as a Patriots fan because if it gets that, like, if he's that bad or like he's not playable, like. Then Stidham would start, so like you don't you don't have to worry about seeing like the worst version of Cam on the field. The worst version of Cam will lose out to Stidham, so you won't even have to worry about that. But then the best version of Cam, the mid even the middling version of Cam, that's the stuff that would then you know raise your ceiling and get you very excited. Yes, and like you said too, if we get the middle ground Cam, where you know what he's got, he has his moments where he's great, he has his moments where he's a little shaky. That's still, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the AFC East. Like, that's still going to win the division. I'm like, I'm out here saying right now, are we going to the division? Like, it's still that who-knows factor. The AFC East is the most intriguing it's been in God knows how long. This is the first time there's a quarterback battle in camp since, like, before I was born in 1993 when Bledsoe, before Robert Kraft owned the team. Yeah, so, and, uh, we said we said it last time we did the show. Like all the teams in the AFC East just have a wide range, with the exception of the Jets. Yes. like they're they're gonna be like they're gonna be either uh, they're either gonna be like bad, mediocre, or like decent. Like they're not gonna be really good. They're not, I I don't think they could be worst team in the league level, but that's just me. But anyways, uh, so I think that the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Patriots, the range is really wide because like. I, I really I, I said it last time. I it really would not surprise me at all if the Dolphins won less games than they did last year. Like I just I could totally see that. I could also see if Tua starts and is healthy and he could kind of do maybe what Russell Wilson did as a rookie. That's who he was compared to a lot was Russell Wilson. If he has that mobility, he makes those plays out of the pocket like Russ did as a rookie. They could do good things. Uh, but the Bills, people think they could make the playoffs. I think they could be bad, too, because, like, Josh Allen's such a wild card. And then the Patriots, like, that's what makes the season so much fun. That's why I'm really hoping, like, we get it, you know, and we get it in its full form, all 16 games, 17 games. Uh, actually, wait, I think it's 16. 16 this year. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, yeah, the range is wide, and that's what makes it exciting. The Patriots can have, like, four different records. So can the Bills, so can the Dolphins. Like, that's what makes it really, really interesting. That's what's going to make the season a lot of fun. And the camp thing just makes it even spicier, like, in my opinion. Exactly. It's like that little like that little garnish on top. It's that little cherry on top of the ice cream on top of the sundae. Um, the one thing I will say about the Jets quickly is until they get a better head coach in there, I have zero faith in them. I, I scratch my head at that Adam Gase hire to begin with, and even to his press conference, I'm like, I'm like, why? Out of everyone you could have hired, like I don't know why they went for Gase. I know you have your growing pains with him in Miami. He left, and then the Jets hired him. Like, I remember everyone was laughing, being like, oh, Jets are going to Jet. Yeah, I uh, I did laugh. Part of, part of the reason why I laughed was because, uh, you know, when Gase was our coach, like when fanhood, you're in the moment, like I was defending him and a lot of people were sh- criticizing me. And then to see the Jets hire him and then to see uh, our friend Danny on Twitter just freaking lose his, like just be like trapped, like not knowing what to do. Because like he mocked the coach before, but like now he's his coach. So like seeing that in Jets fans was hilarious. That like cognitive dissonance of we made fun of them for years and now we have to deal with it. I am, I mean, I'm not like other people on Adam Gase. I, I, I think I have accepted and recognized he is not, as of now, I don't know what he'd look like 10 years from now. Pete Carroll was a bad coach at one point in time in his career, you know, before he got older and he learned and improved. Uh, but as Gase is right now, I agree that it is 
borderline impossible for that for an Adam Gase coach team to make a deep playoff run. Like I just I can't see it at all. Uh, I guess I think my thing with Gase is I think Gase teams have a higher floor than he gets credit for. Like he's just through from two thousand whatever you want to say about him. He's never won less than six games in four years as a coach. And I know that's like not a huge standard, but that's also having in 2017 Ryan Tannehill miss the entire season. That's also in 2018 having Ryan Tannehill miss five games that they had to replace with Brock Osweiler, who was then out of the league after that season. Working and then last year, Dar- last year with Sam Darnold missing three games. And in some of those games, you see some impressive things. Like in 2018 with Brock Osweiler, they beat the fucking Bears at home, and they the Bears who that year had the best defense in the league, and they they put like like five hundred yards of offense on them. It was ridiculous. It made absolutely no sense. I was at that game. I had a great time. It was just like so illogical. Like how is a Brock Osweiler quarterback team like tearing into the Bears right now? This is so ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, I think I think Gase when the expectations are the lowest, I think he does. I think he does enough to get you to mediocre, where, like when the Jets were 1-7 last year, and I said it at the time, I said, you know, I think they're gonna, they're not going to be, like, fighting for the first overall pick. I really don't believe it. Like, I just think they're playing so many bad teams. They'll win games. Here's the key to Adam Gase. When he's at home, they're very likely to win most of their games very, very close. He'll ne- he never blows anybody out, ever. All his wins are super narrow. And whenever he loses, he loses big. Like, he never, ever loses. He almost never loses. He's 25-6, and six, I think, in, cl- in one-score games in four years. That's, that's unbelievable. Like, that's almost impossible. But what that tells you is when he's not winning, he gets blown out. And you saw that last year with your Patriots. It's like when you beat a Gase team, yes, when you beat a Gase team, you don't just – you don't win by a field goal. You fucking crush them. Like, when they lost in week one to the Bills – uh, by one point. That was such a huge stunner because that's very uncommon Like for most of most of Gase's teams. When they lose, they lose hard. They get their asses kicked when they lose. So that, it's, it's hard to be a great team that way. It's hard to be a great team when you're losing by double digits every other week. Uh, I think he's a 6-10 through 10 win coach. So I agree with you. As long as he's there, they're never going to go that far. They're never going to do anything significant. But I do think people who project them to go like 2-14, and 14, I would caution against that. Just knowing what I know about Gase. Oh, no, 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 I agree with you. I'm not, like, saying they're going to be 2-14, and 14, they're going to be terrible. Yeah. Um, there's other factors that may go into that, like, uh, I don't know, you're all pro-safety, not wanting to play for you anymore. Like, that's a that's very a big issue. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Um, I, I think their ceiling is somewhere between 4-7. to seven. Like, if I see 4 is their worst-case scenario, 7 wins being their best-case scenario. But I... Logically, I think that five is they'll be five or six wins. But you're right though, because like I remember last year too, even there was the week three game with Luke Falk, I think, with an, at a quarterback, and yeah. like they came back a bit. But there was a point where the Patriots were kicking their ass. Like even too the game, like I flashed scored you Monday Night Football, thirty three to nothing at home. The Patriots were all over the Jets. Like and that's the thing with the Patriot Jet games too. Like they're either like this goes back to like the Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez days, and even like maybe further back with like Eric Mangini. The games with the Patriots and the Jets are either, like you said, that super narrow margin of victory where someone's going to win by like a field goal or a touchdown, or because this never happens on the other side, like I can recall two Monday Night Football games, one in 2010 and one in, like I said last year, where the Patriots just straight up kicked their ass. Yeah, it was, I was, um, 
<laughs> I was at a bar with Patriots fans during that game, uh, and it was not 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 a fun place to be as a not Patriots fan that I am. Because uh, I, I I bought into you know like I said like the Jets either with Adam Gase you either win close or lose big. So I was curious to watch that game because I was like. I saw a Patriots fan tell me, yeah, I think we could beat them, you know, by a field goal or so. And I was like, well, you're not really going to win by a field goal. You're either going to lose by a field goal or crush them. So I was watching the game kind of curious, like, hmm, can the Jets, like, win by a field goal? And then very quickly in the game, when Donald's interception started coming, I was just like, oh, God, this is this is going very far in the other direction. And, yeah, no, it was, it was absolutely humiliating. But, look, this is where you give Gase some credit. Like, in 2016 – no, 2017 and 2018, uh, Gase beat the Patriots uh, in Miami. Yeah. In 2017, with Jay Cutler on Monday Night Football, um, a game that blew my mind. And I remember going into that game, Patriots fans were very arrogant, and Patriots didn't have Gronk for that game. And before the game, I said, that's going to matter. Well, that was Some game Patriots... suspended. Sorry to cut you off, yeah, that was a game was... he was suspended for the uh, helmet thing. The Tredavious Whitehead. Yeah. yeah. He was suspended, and I remember because I, I, I went to school in New England, so like I, I was around Patriots fans all the time. And I remember they were saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's the Dolphins. And I was like, no, just you watch. Like We play them tough at home. And then we, we beat them pretty handedly. Like The score was pretty misleading. And after the game, they were like, oh, I guess Gronk mattered. But then the next year, 2018, when with the Miami Miracle game, everyone remembers the Miami Miracle, and they remember that it was kind of a fluke. But what gets lost is that – the Dolphins put up 33, 34 points on that Patriots defense. That was the same Patriots defense that crushed everybody en route to winning the Super Bowl. And that was kind of the last game, I guess with the exception of the Chiefs, but you know they're the Chiefs. The rules don't really apply to them. That was kind of the last team that gave them trouble defensively. Like The Dolphins were throwing all over the field on them with Tannehill running a lot with Brandon Bolden. Like, they put it to them, you know? And I think that's where, I guess... Yeah, I don't disagree with your assessment on like the floor ceiling combos. I guess I would raise the Jets floor a little bit in the sense that I would say it is feasible. The best case scenario, best case scenario, I can see a world where they go nine and seven. Am I expecting them to go nine and seven? No. Is nine and seven gonna be enough to make noise in the playoffs? No. But I think it's in the range of outcomes. Like if if Darnold takes the next step and the defense, which was the top ten defense last year, like plays at that level. I don't think that's crazy, personally, but not much more than that. The ceiling is definitely very limited. It's like how you say there's the best case scenario, but then there's the worst case scenario. Um, man, that division's just very. It's just like this is the thing about football. Like I, I, I'll say I've said it to you last time. I'll say it to you now. I've said it to everyone before. This is where the any given Sunday metaphor comes from. Because like, look, that Miami Miracle game. Another thing lost in that game too was for some reason Gronk was in the backfield in the secondary on that in Miami Miracle. Because everyone yeah. thought, like, too, oh, here's this big body, he's going to get lost. Man, Miami, like, they made him look stupid in that. That's one yeah, thing that gets lost with Brian, a lot of casual fans. Brian uh, Brian Flores. Uh, Brian Flores was the D coordinator at the time, which was very ironic considering yeah. what Brian Flores would end up doing. Uh, and I remember this um, this past year when we when we beat the Patriots in Foxborough, uh, on the last play of the game, the Patriots had, like, their own, like, little, like, Hal Mary, to, like, fumble Ruski situation. And uh, one of the Dolphins beat writers tweeted, by my knowledge, I see no other tight ends in the field right now. That's, <laughs> like, a, a warning sign that Brian Flores had learned his lesson. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, that was a fun game. Well, no, that's the thing, too, like, even to, like, Patriots, Bills, Patriots, Dolphins, like, it's the same thing, too, like, how this year... 
look, you get that very close Week 17 Miami win, or there was a Week 2, lop, like, the Miami lopsided thing. Like, that's how that's how every divisional game, especially in the AFC, it goes. The only team where that doesn't happen is the New England and the Bills anymore, where there's there's been times where the Patriots have blown them out, but there's a lot more close games, especially that hellhole in Western New York. Oh, yeah, because... It- Man, you, you have to go to one of those games, right? Well, not had to, but you chose to go to one of those games. I went once, and this is the only reason I hate the Bills, is because I went in, like, not knowing. Actually, I went with my family. It was the game, I think it was week three or week four. Um, I went with, like, my, my whole family. We went to the game and everything, and it was just the overall atmosphere. I just remember being, like, at first you walk in, it's whatever, it's fine. But then we were getting, like, shit thrown at us. We were getting, like, kind of like, I remember Brady threw a pick, and someone, like, just ran out to me and started shouting in my face, and I was just a kid at the time, and like, I'm 17, but still, and then it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't, that's why, that's the main reason I don't like the Bills, it's not so much about, like, the team or the fan base, even though the fan base is so well-respected, just based off the Bills Mafia moniker, just for the fact that that happened, even to, like, I know Bills fans who straight up tell me, like, saying, hey, you can't even wear Patriots gear in Western New York, like, I have a, on my old car, I had, I had a Patriots bumper sticker on there, but every time I went to Buffalo, because, Guess who lives an hour and a half from Buffalo? Me. Um, I have to cover that up because I'm like, God forbid I get my car keyed or something over a, a stupid little bumper sticker. What year was this game? Uh, 2011. I believe the Bills won on a field goal. Oh, that was that was the that was Fitzpatrick, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, so you went you went during one of the few times that the Patriots actually lost? Yeah. The one the only game I've seen the New England Patriots play live was. And Buffalo against the Bills when they lost. I'm still. I'm after that. I'm like convinced. I'm like, if I see them on the road again, they're gonna lose. So that's why I'm waiting out to go to Foxborough one day to see them play. It's just unfortunately, tickets to Foxborough aren't exactly cheap. Yeah, I went. I went to Foxborough once uh, because uh, my the Dolphins played them Thursday night in 2015. Um, I was living in New England at the time, and I was able to get like. Like literally, like back of the three hundred level. Like I, I didn't realize how expensive it was because I'm, I'm sure there's high demand, like crazy because it's the Patriots and everyone wants to go see the Patriots. Uh, but I got like high three hundred level. I was all pumped. I was excited, and then the Patriots absolutely crushed the Dolphins, thirty-eight to seven, I think, on Thursday Night Football. Um, and that was the same game where Cameron Wake tore his Achilles. Oh, I remember Dolphins. that game. Yeah, like that was. I, I wish we could trade um, our respective. <laughs> Uh, game day experiences, uh, but yeah, that, that, that was no fun. Uh, but but yes, like I think, I think AFC East, it's fun, it's exciting, and this year in particular, it just seems like all the games can be close because there's just a lot going on for every team. You know, that's why I like Week One so much this year. How you have the Jets playing the Bills and you have the Patriots playing the Dolphins. The fact that all four all four Week One game, all two, all four AFC East teams, excuse me for the tongue twister there are playing each other because it's just going to make it that much more exciting and that much more unpredictable to where anything can happen. I think week one, uh, the Dolphins play, well, Dolphins play the Patriots and yeah, the Bills play the Jets. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just, I can't help but think that the the Dolphins are going to get absolutely crushed in that game because it's like, I can already see the narrative, right? It's like, oh, here comes Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins back to the same place where they beat the Patriots last year, the last time they were in Foxborough. It's going to be Cam Newton's first game. And, yeah, like, I just, I don't know. I, I, as a Dolphin skeptic this year, like, I just, I could just totally see that one being, like, a one of those, like, 10 to 15 point blowouts. And then we'll get you guys in Miami. So yeah. Be okay. Well, 
ironic thing about that is the game in Miami is on my birthday. Oh. Yeah, so Damn. hopefully not. But week one, like, I remember it last year, week two, uh, Patriots go to Miami. Um, same, it's literally the same commentary team as the Miracle Miami game, Ian Eagle, Ian Eagle, Dan Fouts, um, which now I'm excited to see because I remember looking up today, it's now Ian Eagle and Charles Davis, which I'm... Oh, very, yeah. yeah, Charles Davis is great. Yeah, CBS yeah. gave him a lot of money. Um, but I remember, too, it was always a replay of the Miami Miracle as what was going to happen this year, and then the Patriots blew them out the 43 and nothing game. Yeah, I was there for that one, too. Uh, that was, and not only was I there, but one of my friends from out of town, uh, who's never been to an NFL game in his life, um, and I was able to get tickets for that game from another friend, and uh, we went, and that game, first half, sneakily closer than people remember. It was 13-0 at halftime. Yeah. Dolphins, Dolphins were respectable. But then, like, the pick sixes started to come, and then that was the game where Kalen Balazs caused the pick six, which I've never seen before from a running back, where he just bobbled the ball in the air, and then I think it was Collins, like, took it back to the house right after. Yeah. Uh, that was an ugly, ugly, ugly game. Yeah, Collins had a pick six in that game. Gilmore had a pick six in that game. I'm, I'm trying to, I can't remember who else off the top of my head had one. But, man, it's just one of those things when you reminisce and you talk about it. I'm just like, and even today, too, right before you and I got on. I go down a rabbit hole of, like, NFL just, like, best, not even best plays, but best commentary moments. Because, like, there's a lot of the times, too, where commentators make the play for as much as the players make the play. Yeah, absolutely. Like, in the, like, um, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Harlan, who does this for both the NFL and the NBA. Whenever he's calling, like, not, not just when he's calling, like, some random moment. Like, a cat or a dog walking onto a field or something. Or a drunk fan walking onto a field. That's the play I watched. <laughs> but, uh... Kevin Harlan, like uh, that that Chiefs game when the Chiefs beat the Chargers at home at the same time that the Dolphins were beating the Patriots in Foxborough, and he's commenting on both results. He's commenting on a Chiefs touchdown, and he's also commenting on Fitzpatrick um, through his like monitor throwing the game when he touched down like a second. And it's like he just they add they add a huge amount of excitement and like like gravitas to the moment. Like I'll never forget a uh, Joe Buck uh, when when Diggs the Minneapolis miracle. Like, the way he just said, digs, sideline, touchdown. And he said each word very loud. He spaced himself between each word. It just, it really made that moment mean something really special. Like, that, that's the stuff that those commentators can add. I just want to play, play that one in just a quick second. But I remember that will always be the one NFL play that left me absolutely speechless. Was yeah. that? Just that, like... And even to a stupid ad on YouTube, but uh, yeah, that 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 uh, I got it right here. Like I, 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 most people know my father probably gonna hate me for that because he is a huge, huge Saints fan. Like, I like I get go- I don't know why, but from Bach, it's more from Bach than from Diggs that I get goosebumps whenever I rewatch that. Just because like you could tell too, he's on like his last vocal cords as he's saying that the Diggs sideline like it's uh, it's just one of those things where like you look at it too like and then you have someone who's as calm and collected as Jim Nance where when he gets his moments where he gets like on the excitement level that's why I like him and R- Tony Romo because the two of them balance each other out so perfectly. Yeah, compliments attract. Like, like the Tony Romo, Tony Romo's enthusiasm. Yeah. Like, it's it stands out better. 
because of his contrast with Jim, where like they kind of work off each other in that way. If they were both yelling and screaming like Romo does, like throughout a game, I don't. It would. St- I mean, we would still enjoy Romo, but I think we enjoy him even more because of this like particular pairing that they have together. And just on one quick thing on that Saints game, I I was watching that game with uh with one of my brothers uh who had who had bet money on both the Saints winning the game and on the Saints to cover the spread because the spread was only like the spread was only like like five points or something. No, it was like four points or something like that. No. Yeah, it was like it was like three or four points, Saints underdogs. And he bet on them to cover the spread and to win. And right before that play, I told him, Hey, what if not expecting the Diggs thing, I was just like, What if Keenum throws an out route to Diggs and they kick a field goal? Because I, I believe the field goal would have won them the game too. Um, if they if they had enough time, there's not a lot of time on the clock. If they could time it so Diggs can go out of bounds and set up for like a 55 yard field goal, how would you feel? And he goes, "Okay, that would be a horrific beat. That would suck, but at least the Saints would still cover, so I'm okay with that." And then, sure enough, they don't get a field goal. Diggs scores. The Vikings win, and they cover the spread at the same time. And I watched the play with him, and he just like we our jaws were dropped, and his phone just slid out of his hands. Like, it just, like, he was holding it precariously, and it just dropped through his hands and fell on the floor. As, like, we saw in amazement what had just happened. Yeah, no, that, that play was nuts. Sorry for your dad. They had to, your dad has had to deal with some rough memories these past three years. Yeah. I, he said that. He had, like, I like I wasn't even with him. I was, like, like, I knew it was bad. I was getting texts from people being, like, is he okay? That's yeah. how I knew it was bad. Like, how is he doing right now? Like, my cousin, who's a Packers fan, was like feeling bad for him. Yeah, no, and the Saints, the Saints had a really good team that year. I mean, look, I don't I think the Eagles probably like were still going to do what they did because the roster was so good and Foles who I think is limited as a quarterback, but he worked well with that team and they had home field advantage. Um, but I do think I, I I could be wrong. I do think the Saints would not have gotten absolutely waxed like the Vikings did the very next week. They might have still lost. But it wouldn't have been as ugly as it was when the Vikings did it. Oh no, I agree with you. I was just about to mention that. I don't think that because I think it was like thirty-six to seven or something like. Because I remember beatdown. Pardon me. Yeah. It was a beatdown. I don't think that happens if it's uh, Saints Eagles because I think the Saints will even if they lose. I still think it's a very close game of football. Um, the only other thing I just wanted to mention too quickly with the whole broadcaster situation is um, we do have Joe Tessador and Booger McFarland who are out of the booth at ESPN. I'm. I feel like I'm one of the only people who's kind of sad about that because I like that pairing. I didn't like it when it was with Jason Witten. I thought he was just too robotic. He's not meant for broadcasting. But when you had, like, with Tess and Book, I thought, like, the same thing. Two of them really worked well with each other. I know Booger had some mistakes here and there. But they still haven't announced who's going to be doing it. And if college football doesn't happen, I'd like to see Fowler and Herb Street in there. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you. I know a lot of people gave them. I mean, it's a tough job. Like, it's Monday Night Football. Every single call they make is super microanalyzed. Everybody's watching, like, everybody. So. Like, they're kind of put under a microscope, maybe a little unfairly. Um, but, yeah, I, I also was a big fan of both of them. And uh, I, I think that despite their flaws, they had some moments where they really elevated plays. And I think, I think in particular, Booger, I thought he was insightful sometimes. I thought there were times where he was commenting, like, on the line play or on the play design where he was making a pretty good point. And that kind of got lost in the national narrative because all the, all the flubs – like kind of got so much attention. So yeah, Flower and Herb Street are awesome. Um, 
I, I do think there is going to be college football. I just think it's going to be very weird. Like, I just think that it's probably going to be conference only. I don't think they're going to play 12 games. Um, uh, it's super complicated. I say this with a very low degree of confidence. College football, more than any other sport, is the one most likely to fall apart uh, with this COVID stuff. But okay. um, if, if the Fowler and Herb Street are free, I think it'd be great. I, I do think they'll call it. It's just because two college is the one sport where, you know what, they rely on the fans. Not only – and also because there's a difference, too – that the college football revenue goes towards scholarships for the smaller sports at those schools. Yeah, and the the you know some some for some not every program but for some programs like Bama, like their revenue goes to like the general academic budget too. Like they built research buildings because of the money they made from football. Like that that that's not just going to result in cutting sports, which we're seeing all over the country. That could also result in like cutting teacher salaries too. Like it, it's it's high risk, but the concern, the problem is like, how like those colleges that want to have sport can, but they also have to have school open because I've seen many people say this: you can't close the school for a semester, but then tell the kids to come and play football because if there's, I mean, I I don't want to get into a, like a policy discussion about paying college athletes. Um, you should, but nonetheless, like if they're supposed to be, if they're if they're supposed to be students then how come the other students are not allowed to be on campus, but the football players are? Like, I don't think you can pull that off without getting sued. So they have to open it to everyone if they want to If they want to have it. Yeah, because I, I know college football players, too. Like, they're kind of restrained in the whole – like, we talked about from the top where the NFL had – the NFL players were tweeting yesterday saying, we want to play. College football players, I feel like some of them will be very restricted to do that just because, like, look, they're under a much tighter microscope. They're on a much tighter leash, if you will, from their schools. Um and also the other thing to do with college is just like, you're right. Like, look, it's like, oh, hey, uh, he's okay to be here. He's football. But, like, say, Big Rat or myself, you're, fo- you're just like, oh, you're regular students. Oh, no, it's too dangerous for you to be at school. That student-athlete na- narrative goes out the window, and the NCAA could lose a lot of money from that. Because, look, more governments are trying to realize, hey, these kids deserve to make money. We know, like, it's basically the biggest white elephant in the room where we know these kids are here to play football. They're here to play basketball. They're here to play this sport and that sport, and then go off and play pro. So for them to not be, for them to have, for institutions to make them put their health, their athletic ability over their health would say a lot. Not just about individual institutions and conferences, but about the NCAA as a whole. Yeah, I think that you not only risk lawsuits, you also risk, like like you said, this could maybe accelerate the pressure uh, for payment to be given out. And you know, I'm sure the NCAA doesn't want that, and uh, that's 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 money that doesn't just hurt them for one year. That's money that hurts them forever. Like, like I just think, yeah, it'd be it'd be insanely risky. Um, it is it is complicated because like smaller programs are going to be really hurt this year. Like I, I saw today another FCS conference announced that they're not playing this year um, because I think rightfully Power Five teams they can't they don't want to play a team that won't test its players. But if you're a smaller school with not a big budget, it's hard to pay money for COVID testing for every, on a daily basis. Um, so then Power 5 teams won't want to play FCS teams. They might not even want to play Group of 5 teams. And that's why they might just play amongst themselves, inter-conference only. But when you do that, then that means that FCS teams, you know, they rely so much on that money they get. Like, it's like when the Canes play Savannah State, like it may not be a big deal to to me or you, but to Savannah State, it's super important that that game happens because that's how they fund the rest of their year. So 
you're going to get like a lot of it. I don't think the SCS is going to play. You might even get some like group of five schools that just they can't play because they don't have enough opponents that want to play them. So yeah, like it's 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 tricky, no doubt. I think it will happen, but it's tricky. It's it's like another example term we're hearing. It's like a, like a school uh, citadel. I remember like they'll agree to play Alabama and get their asses whooped, but they know like hey, we're gonna make two million dollars from this game. Like it's just that important to like you saying like oh for us or what or even to like my like you fans like playing a school like you said like Savannah State. It's not a big deal for you guys, but for that school, it's enormous the amount of revenue that's coming in. Like and also too for the smaller schools, the boosters for those smaller schools want to see good competition coming in yeah it's and like you know the, the few times that you do get a big win it could change everything like when out like lsu lost to troy and that was like a big deal you know like that can really help that program generate more revenue uh when they get a win like that on their record uh like i think last year jackson state uh defeated tennessee in the first game of the season yeah and it was and it was a hilarious story that uh the athletic the athletic director for jackson state had to walk to the Tennessee athletic director's office to get his paycheck for they had because they still have to get their two million dollars. Yeah. But for a game for a game they won, <laughs> like you didn't just lose to a bad team, you lost to a team and then had to give them a big check at the end of the day too, like adding insult to injury there a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be tricky. I, I think they'll play, but I think what you'll probably get is conference only games, but you also might only get a ten game season. And worst case scenario, if they can't make the testing work, then I think they'd move into spring. But um, yeah, it's not 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 ideal. Which before we um, go into further discussion, I think we're probably gonna wrap this up soon. Um, if they go into spring season, you're gonna see guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields not play. Yeah. Like for them, this is a huge showcase here. Yeah, a lot of I think I think there's a lot of guys on Clemson's team that might not play. Like a lot of other seniors. Most of those starters that are juniors and seniors, like most of those guys were like four or five star prospects in high school. Um, even the guys that like would only get drafted like in the fourth round, I think they still will be like, nah, I just I don't want to risk it because I don't know if the NFL is going to – I don't think the NFL will move the draft. I don't think the NFL would want to help college football because it hurts the NFL. If they move the draft to July, that means that the rookies – um, when they get to these teams, have less time to practice with these teams before the start of the season. And NFL head coaches aren't going to like that. They're not going to like having less time for the rookies to help them because that hurts them. Like if you're a team, like a team like the Dolphins, that they're really reliant on next year, this year's draft class and next year's draft class, 2020 and 2021. When you trade Tunsil, you traded Mika Fitzpatrick, you tanked. You know, you did all these things. Like it's to build around those two draft classes. And if one of those draft classes is now going to start like two weeks before training camp opens. Like that's going to piss off Chris Greer, who planned everything around the 2020 and 2021 drafts. So yeah, I mean, I think from the NFL's perspective, they'll just be like, "All right, sure, we don't get to see an extra year of Trevor Lawrence. Whatever, too bad. Like, we'll do our own research. We still have the combine. We still have some game footage. Like, we'll be okay." Because that's gonna be the other thing too. Like, for example, like. Oh, like if it's in the spring and it's like let's just say Clemson or Oklahoma or Alabama, they have their pro day, and then it's like oh during the middle of the week when they have a game that like and then it's going to cross paths too where Nick Saban's going to get pissed off. He's like, oh what the hell? Like I have these guys doing my pro day on a Wednesday when we're preparing for let's say Mississippi State this coming Saturday. Like it's a big trickle down effect where I personally don't think the NFL will move the draft for college. I think they're going to go too bad. And then to once Lawrence is drafted, it's not oh hey which on another random note, congrats to him for getting engaged. Um, yeah, I saw that on Instagram Saturday. 
But for him, it's going to be like, oh, uh, you're done. Oh, you're drafted now. You're no longer part of Clemson. You're part of whatever organization you end up in. So it's like too bad for them. Their season's like it could spring football. I think it will could potentially wreck a lot of teams. And that's why I think they. I, that's why I think like they really are doing everything they can to avoid it as kind of like a last resort. Like I yeah. see some people on Twitter saying, "Why don't they just move it already?" Clearly, there's a lot of uncertainty. I think it will hurt a lot of teams. It will. By the way, some some teams probably can't survive another five months with no football revenue. Like Florida State is already making their head coach take a pay cut. They literally just hired him this year. They're making him take a pay cut because they're hurting financially. They lost college basketball in March Madness. All these teams are hurting. I think it's not that simple for them to just be like, we'll just go the next five months without any money and have that just be clean. Like that's gonna get that's gonna result in more sports getting cut, more people getting fired. And I think I think college football is going to try to avoid it. I, I do recognize they might have to because they just might not have enough time to get everything sorted. But I think they absolutely want to do everything they can to not do that because it would be really damaging to a lot of programs. And um, just before, because we're, we're going to wrap up soon, just because we've been talking for a while. But um, the one other point I want to make too with all this is, uh, like, we don't know where it, pro, I'm going to say provinces because I'm Canadian and states for you because you're American. But, like, for example, if Florida's not better in the next six months, like, Florida's supposed to host not only the national championship game this year in Miami, but the Super Bowl's in Tampa this year. Yeah. So it's another thing, too. It's like, that's the other thing I want to talk about with you quickly before we go. Like, what happens to the Super Bowl this year if there's no fans? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine, like, like, that's just, there's so much money associated with the Super Bowl. Like, I just... I would like to believe, I could be wrong, I would like to believe the NFL would rather, I really do think the NFL would rather, like, move the Super Bowl a few weeks and try to have any fans they could um, than just not have fans at all. Because, like, they would lose out on so much money, like, an unbelievable amount of money. Because uh, so much of their season, so much of the revenue, the profits they made from the Super Bowl um, come from come from fans. Not just from ticket sales, but merchandising sales, advertising revenue and you know the whole benefit of hosting the super bowl is you get all this money injected into your local economy and if there's no fans no one's paying for hotel rooms no one's going to restaurants like it would just be so so bad yeah i can't i i don't know i I could be naive i think the nfl would i think there's a limit they obviously you can't delay the super bowl three months obviously no but i think if the nfl was like okay if we wait another month we can i think that's the limit maybe like three weeks like, okay, if we delay it three weeks, we can have fans. Now, obviously, that's a very, like, narrow timeline. It's hard to believe. Uh, but I think I think they would do that if it meant, like, having a chance at fans. If there's no chance, if nothing's going to change in the, in the three weeks between their start date and the plan date, then, yeah, they would just go on without it. But, God, that would suck for Tampa. They lost WrestleMania, and then they would also lose the Super Bowl the next year. Like, that would be that'd be brutal. That's the one thing I was going to say to you, because you and I know that well, a lot of people go, oh, WrestleMania is wrestling, but WrestleMania has a very similar economic impact to the local economy that the Super Bowl does because him and I have spent a lot of money to go to WrestleMania on more than one occasion. Absolutely. Like, I mean, good Lord. Like, wrestling fans, because wrestling fans are, wrestling fans even more so than football fans. Like, wrestling fans will be there. They're not just there for a few nights. Like, wrestling fans can be there all week, especially nowadays. Like, WrestleMania weekend, all the other shows associated with it, it kind of starts, like, on a Wednesday at this point. Like, not even really the day before. I went to Dallas. I went to Orlando. I went to New Orleans. All three times I arrived on Wednesday. One of the times I was there from Wednesday to Wednesday. Other times, Wednesday to Tuesday. I'm there for at least six days. 
that's six and that's that's six like five or six nights of the hotel stay as yeah. opposed to two or three plus all the restaurants you're going to in that time like it's just all the all the money you're spending on transportation like with uber rides and train rides and cabs like yeah no it's yeah it's a, it's yeah. a big deal like very big deal yeah so for tampa like i imagine too like the, ma- the mayor of tampa and the governor because i know tampa i believe was promised a future wrestlemania but at the same time too yeah. like i don't think the nfl is going to want to go to tampa and be like oh, we're going to come to you in this year because after this year, I know 22 is in L.A., 23 is in Phoenix, and then 24 is in New Orleans. What are they going to say, oh, hey, we'll come back in four years? Like, nothing's guaranteed. So it's a very big yeah. thing I just wanted to touch on. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a big it's a big point, and yeah, we'll see. Like, I guess the last thing I'll say is, you know, we still don't know what the fan policy is going to be like now, like a month from now, because – Logically, logic would dictate, okay, most states are not allowing large stadiums, so most states will probably not have fans. But there are states that do, that are more open than others. And like I saw the Jaguars announced a few days ago that they're going to shoot for 25% of fans. And, I mean, that seems crazy right now in July. But come September 10th, you know, maybe it's not. Uh, And yeah, like it's going to be interesting. Like I think... Maybe you get something with the Super Bowl. Like, if, if there's no other way around it, then the absolute last resort will probably be something like that. Like, restrict the tickets to 25% of the capacity, which would suck, but that'd be better than no fans. And, good Lord, like, Super Bowl tickets are already expensive. Like, if they, if they shortened it, like, to 25% capacity, like, oh, my God. Like, you're going you're gonna to have to pay, like, five figures to get a ticket. It's going to be ridiculous. Oh, for sure. Um but yeah, those are just two points like we just want to touch on. But no, uh, just before we go, I'm going to say this right now. He's been on twice. He's going to be on more than twice as the season goes by. I want to bring you back on for the college football money debate. Uh, season Absolutely. previews, fantasy football. All I got to say is thank you for coming on very much once again, though. No, thank you, man. I had, a, I had an absolute blast. Like It's always a good time. I'm always willing to come back. And uh, yeah, follow me at Big Rat. Sounds good, guys. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We're done with the teens. We're on to episode 20, guys. Have a good time. Keep safe. And like we say, football season's right around the corner. Hell yeah. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. 
Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, SayTheDamnScore.com.